Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio. I'm Allie Murphy with Engage for Good. In today's episode, I'm joined by Scott Bowden, Executive Vice President of Social Purpose and Sustainability at Broder Partners, a global strategic communications firm. Broder Partners is a sponsor of Engage for Good and has a wealth of knowledge in this space. I was excited to talk to Scott today because of his 20 plus years of experience in the field and the fact that he's worked with top companies across industries. We talk about the changes he's seen in social purpose over the past two decades, the importance of being strategic and values-driven in your work, which companies will rise above and which will fall behind when it comes to return to work, and how well-being and mental health are a cause are you to pay attention to both internally and externally. Tune in to hear more from Scott, including tangible tips for communicating sustainability to consumers and employees, how to approach flexible workspaces, and ways to attract and retain talent. Let's get started. Hi, Scott, and welcome to Costock Radio. Hey, Allie. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to have a conversation with you. To kick things off, would you start by giving us a brief, brief background on Broder Partners and what you do there? Yeah, absolutely. So I work at Broder Partners. It's a global strategic communication firm that has a base office in Boston, but we also have offices around the world. Um, I head up our social purpose and sustainability practice, working with clients like Samsonite Travel Luggage, Canadian Tire Corporation in Canada, um, and uh, a biomed company named Beijing. You may not have heard of it, but they started out of China. So very sort of diverse uh, industry and um, client base, which has uh, been exciting. I've also done work at Broder with Candy Crush, the wonderful game that hopefully most of um, have helping, you know, the team there in Candy Crush, the brand team, come up with a social purpose for Candy Crush, which was some of the most fun work that I've done over the last two years at Broder. Prior, prior to Broder, I worked at some other global communications firms helping them build social purpose and sustainability as a practice in strategic communications. That's awesome. And I love how you worked on Candy Crush as well. I know, me too. I'm a big fan. <laughs> oh, I bet. So it sounds like, I mean, you've got a vast array of experience. You work with clients across different industries. And a couple of months ago now, you joined us for Engage for Good 2021, our annual conference. And you shared insights on how CSR and social impact have evolved over the past two decades from your experience. And some of our listeners were at the conference, some of them were not. But I think either way, when you share this stuff, you probably share something a little bit different. So would you give us a synopsis of some of the changes you've seen over that time period and maybe what new things have taken center stage? Yeah, you know, I've been, I've been doing this for over 20 years. And, you know, I had the fortunate experience of working with Carol Cohn, who everybody knows, the right. father of Cosmarketing, which is now Social mm-hmm. Service, which is now ESG, whatever you want to call it. You know, that was some of the you know, most wonderful times of my life and working on clients like General Mills, right? So uh, we did General Mills Box Stops for Education, which is a huge loyalty driving program around raising money for local education and local schools, uh, which was an awesome, you know, sort of client to have and work to be done. I worked on Yo Play Save Lids to Save Lives, which is an icon- was an iconic cause marketing initiative where women could send in lids and you know, 10 cents would go to the Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Foundation. And, you know, it's interesting when you look back, and that was probably like 20 to 22 years ago. I'm aging myself, but, you know, back <laughs> okay, then... you're wise. Yeah, back then it was very much focused on the transaction. 
It was highly focused on consumers. It was very much about how can we sell more product by aligning our brand or our product to a social issue or a cause. And, you know, back then it was very transactional. Um, And, you know, so we did a lot of that kind of work. It started to evolve and get a little bit more, you know, into the strategic philanthropy. You know, Carol called it cause branding, which she coined and, and trademark, which is essentially, you know, really sort of developing a strategic approach to social issues, social causes, you know, whether that's through the brand or marketing side of a company or we worked a lot with foundations. When I was with Carol, we, we um, created the ConAgra Foods Feeding Children Better Foundation, which is very much focused on you know, childhood hunger, which made a lot of sense for the business, right? Before that, they had done a lot. They, give, they gave a lot. Uh, they partnered with a lot of charities. But you know, they became very strategic and really focusing on you know, what you could say is a core competency of their business, and that obviously is food. Um, right. You know, and it's interesting, and, and as it evolved, it be, I was sort of say it started with the transactional marketing side, then it went to corporate. You know, now we're sort of getting into value. So that's kind of the trajectory I'm, I'm going to like talk about. Um, so, you know, it started to get a lot more obviously strategic, but I think business became mindful of their responsibility and their role in society. And they started looking inward right, as to what they could do through their own business practices to actually advance social issues and environmental issues, right? So, you know, it's not just about partnering with a charity. It's about actually doing something inside your business to be able to actually advance society and stop some of the social and environmental issues we see. So I always use General Mills as a great example. Deborah Mills uh, gave a lot of money to breast cancer research. Um, They gave a lot of money, obviously, to schools. And that's still a loyalty-driving program. Today, if you look, and I don't work with them today, but if you look at what they've done, they've specifically looked at sustainable agriculture and supporting farmers is really where they're investing in social issues, right? And societal Mm -hmm. issues, because that makes so much sense for their business. That makes their business sustainable into the future. That makes a lot of sense in terms of where their core competencies are. It also makes a lot of sense in terms of what's most material to their business. And that sort of strategic approach also turned into materiality, which is very much focused on right what's most material to your business. I always right. use CVS. At the time, pharmacy, I worked on when I was with Carol at, at Cone. And I worked with them or led a team that developed a, very, a, a focus on supporting children with disabilities. We called it All Kids Can. The CEO had you know, heart for it, right? Really supporting children with disabilities had, you know, a child uh, that had a disability, uh, a friend of his or in his family, I can't remember. Mm -hmm. But it was very much back then, right? It's like a CEO's personal cause, what sort of- Close to heart. Kind of pushing, yeah, pulls at the heartstrings. You look at where they are today in terms of smoking cessation and, you know, and getting rid of their uh, tobacco and not selling tobacco, cigarettes in stores. So- it's just a really two good examples of how this space has really changed. And, you know, back then, as I said, we'd work with, you know, community relations people. We'd work with public relations people. And today, I barely, I don't have any clients that are PR people. All my clients mm-hmm. are chief sustainability officers or, you know, head of corporate affairs that has oversight of environmental social governance and investors as a, a key audience. So it's, it's uh, you know, it's really interesting how the interest in this has moved to the center. 
the CFOs, the CEOs are very much focused in this, as, as you know, in addition to the boards. Um, and now this is you're really starting to see, you know, people in very senior roles, whether it's chief purpose officer, chief sustainability officer, really sort of, you know, kind of um, overseeing this. Um, so it's very much now at the high levels of a company. Uh, right. There's a lot of pressure from not only consumers, as we all know, but also investors, policymakers, and other key stakeholders where it's really become not what it used to be 20 years ago on the periphery of business. It's mm-hmm. not the core of business. And that is really sort of playing out for me in my everyday work with clients. It's gone from kind of this nice to do almost, we're talking quite a while ago, to that core that you've talked about. And it's it's expected nowadays and it's required. You talked about consumers and investors. I think employees are one of those stakeholders too. Oh, yeah. Of We want this to be front and center and how are we living up to those values and how is what we do externally also reflected in our own culture and values and processes as well? No, it's just such a great point. And I left employees out, which I think are probably the primary uh, stakeholder for companies because you think the talent, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, not only after COVID, jobs are hard to, you know, it's hard to find talent, but there's been a talent um, crazy competition, right? A lot of my clients that I work with are really, you know, they're they're trying to get the best talent, and you know, talent today wants to work at companies that are purpose driven. So right. what we're seeing a lot of is, and I think about the companies I've worked at, and also the companies that I've supported as a consultant. You know, values used to be something that just was on a piece of paper right, or on the website, but no one, not everybody, but a lot of people didn't understand how that related to them, you know, what that really meant. Like everybody says integrity. What is that? You know what I mean? Integrity, you know, table stakes. So what you're seeing now is because of employees, not only for retention, but also recruitment, is they're Mm -hmm. reimagining what their values are and how that plays in the, the, the sort of new normal of our world today where there's racial injustice, there's climate injustice, right? And all of the things there. So so I'm doing a lot of work with clients and sort of reimagining what the values are for the company and how that relates to the world around us today in the modern world and how that translates into how employees can embrace the company's values in a way that they share the same values and want to work for a company with the same values and very much, you know, focused on... Well, I think the youth, uh, we call them youth, but now millennials are obviously, you know, <laughs> older than they were 10, 15 years ago. But um, yeah, and even, the, you know, the, the younger um, Gen Z. So, so really, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's, there's just such a, such a focus on employees and it's such a great point. One thing that I think is on a ton of people's minds is this return to work as we come out of the pandemic and maybe not with Delta variant. We'll leave that out of it. But what issues do you see around return to work? And as a piece of that, do you think wellness has become a cause? Oh, my God. I definitely think wellness has become a cause. But let me answer the first part of your question. Um, okay. I've had three or four, not direct clients, but people that I worked with and my, my, the companies that I work with leave because there wasn't a flexible policy around Mm -hmm. COVID and they were actually being asked to come back to work full time. I think as we, in the context of what we were talking about in terms of competitiveness, I think the companies that aren't flexible in their policies as we get back to work or after the Delta variant get back to work, I think we're going to see a lot of people at companies jump into companies that 
have more flexible policies because it's very competitive out there today. Companies are looking for talent like crazy. Um, it's a great time to be looking for a job. I think we're starting to see business get back. I think we're starting to see GDP get back to where it was. We're starting to see businesses start to do well again, and they're going to be hiring more people. So, you know, to answer that question, I do think it's going to have an impact. Um, and I do think we're going to start seeing a lot of talent leaving their companies to go work for a company that shares their values, that flexibility in a modern world, we can all be productive, right? And so, I mean, I have, you know, such heart for the, the idea of flexibility. I think we've learned for those companies and those leaders that don't think it's, you know, having people come into work full time again, right? Driving to work being there nine to five, nine to six. Sometimes if you're in New York, nine to 12, like, you know, yeah. And then, you know, commuting and all of that. I mean, I think we've, we've learned it through this experience that we can do well because a lot of companies continue to do well, um, that we can work from home. And I like the idea of, you know, Broder Partners and the CEO, Andy Coville, who I think is just such a values-driven leader, um, is very much, we, our offices are, right now, our office is open two days a week. People want to come in, come in because we know you miss your colleagues. And we know sometimes it's more fun to do brainstormers together in person, but you're not, you know, you don't have to come in. And if you want to do it through Zoom, that's fine. Uh, so, you know, I think I do, I, I have a, I have a lot of um, passion for the whole flexible work schedule. And I didn't prior, I liked going in, you know, every day, you know, driving into Boston, but I think um, I think the flexibility is really key. I also think, you know, Ali, and you know this. I mean, we're starting to see mental health play out on the big screen. Absolutely, which world. is so much more so than pre-COVID. Like there were brands out there, like Harry's, for example, that's been in this space, but more and more of a conversation is taking center stage now. But sorry, continue. No, I totally agree, and I um, I can't mention the clients, but I'm working in. Mm-hmm health mental wellness space as a cause for a client uh and i think what we're going to see if we haven't already i mean when you see you know simone Bowles, by sorry and the olympics pull out because of anxiety i've felt more anxiety over the last six months than i ever felt in my life Mm -hmm. i think we're starting to you know we're starting to see mental health play out and i think if it isn't a cause that companies should be, you know, are looking at, they should be looking at it, whether it's for their own employees or whether it's for the right. communities in which they live, whether it's for, um, you know, other key stakeholders. I think it's 100% um, a, a big social issue that's only going to get worse. And that needs the business community to come together to help because government, as we know, can't do it alone. And um, I think it's going to take a lot of people to to get us to a better mental well-being after this pandemic and after what we see play out last year with Black Lives Matter and Floyd. Floyd. So, yeah, I think it's, it's getting, it's going to be coming to a tipping point, mental well-being. Absolutely. And I think that the more people step up and share their own struggles with it, whether it's like one of the Naomi, was that her name? The tennis star who came out and said, I'm going to drop out. That was huge. Simone did the same thing. So the more that yes, athletes in these spaces, but also brands step up and have campaigns around awareness or anything else in this is in this space is really important. 
I'm going to transition a little bit because I know sustainability is a big focus for you as well. And from my understanding, sustainability used to be more, we'll call it supply chain focused. Whereas nowadays, it seems to be a little bit more consumer and employee facing. What are the challenges you see most often when it comes to pushing sustainability, consumer or employee facing? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm doing more sustainability work, communications work that I've ever done in my life. I mean, it's obviously, Mm -hmm. especially what we're seeing with climate change. I mean, it will be after the pandemic, the next thing that we all need to be worried about, uh, because I don't think it's only going to affect, um, you know, the marginalized, I think it's going to affect everyone, right? And I think it actually is going to be a disparity and it's probably going to over-index in the marginalized or the underserved for sure. But, I, you know, I think the biggest challenge is, and I'll speak for my sort of work life, is, is, is making people understand it. You know, I still, it's still the companies I work with it, you know, there's a chief sustainability officer, there's supply chain managers, right? There's... Um, There's others who work in the space that understand it, but I think the general employee base outside of understanding, you know, sort of climate change, because it's finally getting into the news more and more, you know, it's Mm -hmm. what's their own company doing or what can they do as employees inside their buildings to be able to really help with, with sustainability. So I think, I think there needs to be more creative communication around it and more engagement in in a, in a way that, you know, People, employees can feel proud, you know, and so I think it is actually get, it's totally going mainstream. It's going, mm-hmm. you know, and I would even say it's mainstream globally and the fact that sustainability means more than supply chain and environmental sustainability. Right. You know, sustainability is becoming this sort of common term for sustainable business, you know, sustainable and social issues. So sustainability is becoming sort of the the catch of a lot of different things. Um, mm-hmm. So yes, I, I agree with you. It's, and I would say, you know, I think it's, it would be great if we could be as communicators a little bit more creative in the way we communicate these things that are a lot more relevant to the people you're communicating to, a lot more engaging in terms of what we all can do together or even as individuals to be able to, you know, to help. Um, and so, yeah, it is to me very important. So you're talking about being more creative in the ways that this is communicating and creating or having engagement as well. Do you have an example of a brand or a company, whether it's a client of yours or just someone that you're following who's doing this well and what could our listeners learn from their experience? Yeah, I think a lot of companies are, are doing really well. I think, um, you know, when it comes to communicating to consumers, because, you know, oftentimes you've got, you know, big advertising agencies doing, you know, a really powerful 30-second commercial or doing a, you know, a print ad, like, you know, Patagonia, don't buy this jacket, right? Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, and, and, um, and, you know, REI, get outdoors. So, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I think, those types of brands that have, you know, I would say maybe started with the, a social or environmental premise, right, at the sort of the core of who they are. Some of those brands are are doing extremely well. I think mainstream, not so much, right? Like I think some of the, some of the more, and I think they struggle, Ali. I think, you know, I think mm-hmm. because they're not a Patagonia or they're not a Ben and Jerry's or they're not an REI. Those are big names. Right. I think they worry a little bit about being authentic, right? Um, making mm-hmm. sure that, 
you know, they're truly living out, you know, sort of sustainability in their companies. And, and um, so, you know, I think for, for a lot of companies that they, they, they're a little bit fearful of, and I think rightfully so, because you want to be authentic about it. If it's not something you're living and breathing every day, you know, do you really want to engage consumers in that? So I think, you know, I think, you know, some of the, you know, so I think some of the more altruistic brands are doing, doing well. I think, um, and I think as companies, you know, all companies today are doing sustainability reports. And if they're not, they should be because they're, <laughs> <laughs> because they, you know, investors are looking at another, other people. but you know, it's, it's how do you take a sustainability report, which we do many of them at Broder, and how do you really turn it into engaging communications? Because Sustainability reports are boring, right? I mean, you know, some will read them or some just want to go to a certain section, but but how do you make sort of the essence of it and the, the spirit of it and the uniqueness of it in terms of a company and their sustainable business practice and actually make employees really, you know, understand it and um, and sort of embrace it? So some of the creative ways we're doing it is, you know, we start with purpose, right? So Purpose is very much, you know, a company's North Star. Employees can understand that, right? We reframe values in a way that can be embraced, that are relevant to employees. And then, you know, we texturize that around the sustainability, sustainable business practices. So it all feels like it's working together and it's not separate. Mm -hmm. It all feels like there's a common cause um, of being a purpose-driven brand today when everybody's looking for that, but doing it in a way that, isn't just about greenhouse gas emissions, water, waste, but it's about our purpose is to advance society in the work that we do, right? We're values driven and we do it by respecting the earth, respecting the communities in which we live and work. You know, those, so you kind of see mm-hmm. how you start to frame a narrative that is a little bit more emotive as opposed to putting up an infographic for employees or other people that just kind of show sort of how much progress you've made against your goals and targets right across different environmental areas. So it's far more cohesive that way. And to use one of your earlier terms, strategic rather than saying, oh, we need to do this. So here's a campaign on X. Yeah. It's about really bringing all those pieces together and figuring out how they fuse in a way that makes sense for the business, for employees, and for consumers. Yeah, and I always go back to Unilever as a really good example because obviously they have the sustainable living plan and they've had it for years. And when they tried to sort of engage with consumers around it, they really started at the more inspirational you know, um, communication level where it was really about a better life for our kids, leaving a better life for our kids, right? Leaving a better plan for our kids and the emotion and the motive advertising that they did around it. And at the time they called it Project Sunlight. It's evolved, but, but it really was sort of how consumers through, you know, obviously choosing Unilever brands can really, you know, provide a better future for their kids or kids, you know, in general of the next generation. So, you know, it's always trying to find that emotion and that relevance to be able to communicate. You know, I think some, in some ways, sustainability is very technical. Uh, it's data-driven. So, you know, that's the challenge is making that emotive, right? It's, it's, it's you know, it's not emotive like children with disabilities or breast cancer, right? But I think... Um, you know, I think that's sort of our job is to make it, you know, relevant, engaging and interesting. 
This has been an awesome conversation. Like I said earlier, I feel like we could talk about each of these different veins of conversation for so long, but we don't have that much time. So if people want to learn more about Broder Partners online, where can they do that? Broder.com. All right. We'll include that in the show notes. And then one more specific link I think you shared about your sustainability program. Is that right? Yeah. If people want to, if people want to um, go directly to our work in sustainability and social um, purpose, they can go to Broder.com, our work in practice areas, and you'll find the social purpose and sustainability link. Awesome. Well, we'll include that in the show notes as well. And then last question for you, which is one of my favorites, and I ask everybody, what's one thing, one short, brief thing that you're working on right now that excites you? Oh, that's so many things. I've got to choose one, huh? Just one. And for all of you who can't actually see his face, his entire face just lit up. It was fun. Yeah, no, I mean, this one, you know, I'm usually, I've spent my life, a lot of my life in the consumer world. And what is really exciting to me is that the business to business world, so right, business to consumer, mm. now business to business, <clears throat> customers, you know, working with uh, big companies in terms of, you know, suppliers. Uh, we're working with a company called Sensata, which is a sensory technology company in the Massachusetts area. And, you know, one of their big clients is BMW, right? So they make okay. technology for automotive. Um, and we're producing their first sustainability report that they've ever done. So that really nice. is exciting for me because one of the reasons I came to Broder is, you know, this social purpose sustainability work needs to get to the business to business companies, right? Yep. They're getting the consumer pressure, but now they're starting to get customer pressure and they really need to sort of get ahead quickly. So that's exciting to me because we're sort of trailblazing in the world of business to business. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. 